Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them, told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at at Asodus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, the Barna group did a study of practicing Christians, and they found in this study something remarkable. Uh, They looked at different age groups, and they found among millennials, people who were born from 1984 to 1998, they found that about 50% of them believed that evangelism was wrong. Among people who were of Generation X, people from 1963 to 1983, that number was 27%. Among people who were older, people born before 1963, the number was still relatively high at 20%. And you look at these numbers and you look at these age groups and you think to yourself, how can this be? How can people who are practicing Christians, who go to church, who follow Jesus, how can they say that evangelism is wrong? How can they say that Jesus' great commission, his task that he gives us to share the gospel with the nations is wrong? But there's something else that's remarkable about this research that was done. They looked at those same people and those same age groups, and they found that over 95% of every age group of committed Christians would agree at least somewhat with the statement, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Further, they found that greater than 90% in each age group agreed at least somewhat with the statement, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. So how do these things come together? On the one hand, they say evangelism is wrong. It's not something that we should do. But then on the other hand, they say part of our calling as Christians is to be witnesses of Christ. And the best thing that could ever happen to someone is that they would come to know Christ. I don't know the answer for sure, but I think one possible reason is that many people, especially younger Christians, tend to react in a negative way to the way that evangelism has traditionally been done in our culture. 
I'll give you an example. If you go to a Bills game or a Sabres game or a festival, you'll often see a common picture. You'll see a person on the street corner, and oftentimes this person is an older person, maybe has a beard that's three feet long, looks like he hasn't shaved or taken a shower since Bible times. And then he's holding up this kind of weird-looking sign with this cryptic, creepy writing on it that says, Repent, in John 3.16. And as you walk by, he's holding that sign up, and he has this kind of dour disposition. And I'll admit, even as a pastor, when I've seen things like that, in a sense, it makes me my skin crawl. And I'm looking at it like, do you really think people are going to come to Christ that way? I mean... I agree with the repent part. I agree with John 3.16, but what about the shower? I mean, is that really necessary? Is that part of the whole deal? (laughs) And I think that younger Christians especially tend to react to the way that evangelism has been done. And they think, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure I want to be a part of things like that. In an interview with World Magazine, author Mike Beckel questioned the church's use of what he called spam evangelism. And he shared a story about uh, his past that illustrated his point. He talks about a college uh, classmate who decided he was going to go out and ask women to kiss him. And so he went up to all different women and he wanted to see how many women it would take for one to kiss him. And he got, you know, cursed out. He got slapped a a bunch of times. Then by the 98th person, finally somebody agreed to kiss him. And and Beckel says, well, you could say that his tactic was effective. He got somebody to kiss him. But what about all those other people that slapped him, that cursed him out, that were even more hardened and weary of people after experiencing him? He says, in the same way, I think a lot of unbelievers have been hardened by aggressive witnessing techniques. So I think Christians see these things, they're like, I don't want to be a part of these things. And so as a result, rather than doing something different, we just don't do anything. There's a story about uh, D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist and preacher, and this woman came up to him and she said, I don't like the way that you do evangelism. And he said to her, well, how, how do you do evangelism? And, you know, through the course of conversation, she's like, I, I don't really do evangelism. And he's like, well, I like the way that I do evangelism better than the way that you don't do evangelism. I mean, we can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, because some people don't do it in the way that we'd like, that we don't have a calling to do that. We can't just throw away the commands that Jesus gives us and the commission that he gives us to share our faith with those around us. The passage that we're looking at today... I believe that as believers, we can learn some important principles about what it looks like to be witnesses to Jesus, what it looks like to to evangelize the lost. And we're not going to go through something, you know, specifically like what you say when you evangelize or talk to someone about Jesus. But we're going to talk about principles that we see illustrated in this passage. And I think if we follow these principles that we can't go wrong. The first principle that we see in this passage is that we need to be obedient to go wherever God calls us to go. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
Now, first, before we go any further, we need to realize that God doesn't always talk to us in an audible voice. He did that to Philip. He could, he can do that. He could speak through an angel. He could speak in an audible voice. Oftentimes, though, in our culture, he doesn't do that. He often speaks through his word, through other people, uh, through prayer, through circumstances. Uh, if you're looking for more information about that, if you go on our website or under the sermon archives, we did a series of a while back about ways that God speaks. But God doesn't always speak through an audible voice, but he does hear uh, with Philip. And he, t- he tells Philip through the voice of an angel to go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he gives, them a little, he gives him a little detail. By the way, this is a desert place. One Greek dictionary describes the word desert this way. It's an area that's isolated, unfrequented, abandoned, empty, desolate. He tells them, go on this desolate, empty, lifeless road. This would have been a dangerous thing. In the ancient world, travel was very dangerous, especially on roads that weren't frequently traveled. Bandits would often hide in the rocks, and when travelers would pass by, they would jump out and attack them and sometimes even leave them for dead. So this would have been a dangerous thing. And I wonder what Philip would have been thinking. I wonder what would have crossed his mind. I wonder if he would have been thinking to himself, well, wasn't it enough that I went to Samaria? Wasn't it enough that I went to those half-breeds and preached the gospel there? I mean, isn't there a better use of my time than for you to send me on this, this desolate, lifeless road? Yet that's exactly where God calls him to be. And the truth is, God sometimes calls us to desert places. Sometimes he calls us to places that are lifeless, that are barren. Seminary professor Leonard Sweet uh, talks about uh, this experience that he had where these two, two students were talking. One student had, had received an appointment from uh, a bishop to go to a certain place, and he wasn't happy with that appointment, so he was telling uh, this lady about that and complaining about that. And the lady responded, and she said, you know, a world, the world's a better place because Michelangelo did not say, I do not do ceilings. And this really caught uh, sweet, it's really hit sweet. And he started to think about that idea and he applied it to the people in Scripture. And he said, the world, and in church history, he said, the world's a better place because a German monk named Martin Luther did not say, I don't do doors. He says the world's a better place because an Oxford don named John Wesley didn't say, I don't do preaching in fields. The world's a better place because Moses didn't say, I don't do pharaohs or mass migrations. The world's a better place because Noah didn't say, I don't do arcs and animals. The world's a better place because Rahab didn't say, I don't do enemy spies. The world's a better place because Ruth didn't say, I don't do mother-in-laws. The world's a better place because Samuel didn't say, I don't do mornings. The world's a better place because David didn't say, I don't do giants. The world's a better place because Peter didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. The world's a better place because John the Baptist didn't say, I don't do deserts. The world's a better place because Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births. The world's a better place because Paul didn't say, I don't do correspondence. The world's a better place because Mary Magdalene didn't say, I don't do feet. 
The world's a better place because Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. He says, and the world will be a better place only if you and I don't say, I don't do fill in the blank. The reality is God sometimes calls us to the desert, to barren, lifeless places. But the truth is, when we are obedient to him, when we follow his plan and go where he tells us to go, what we find is that he's already been there. We find that God has already gone before us. I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that just as at the moment when Philip is walking down this road, this Ethiopian just happens to be sitting there on the side of the road? Do you think it's a coincidence that he just happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah? And he just happens to be reading from a passage of Scripture that clearly and explicitly points to Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. Do you think it's a coincidence that he even owned a Bible? I mean, people didn't have access to Bibles. This was before the printing press. Only very wealthy people would have access to a Bible. And yet God has been working in this Ethiopian, unnamed Ethiopian eunuch's life for who knows how long. And Philip comes up to him and he starts to ask him questions. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? And he is, this Ethiopian man is so open to hearing the gospel. He's like, I, I, I'd like to know, but I, no one's ever told me what it means. This is a first, good first place to start. When we're sharing our faith with others, oftentimes what we do is we want to make declarations before we ask questions. We need to ask questions. We need to take the heart of a learner before we start making declarations. Because the truth is, when we ask questions, we get to get evidence of where the Holy Spirit is already at work. He doesn't come in and say, these are the four spiritual laws and these are things that you have to do to get saved. He wants to know where this man is at. And then from there, he sees where the Holy Spirit is working and then he responds in accordance with that. And we see that the, this Ethiopian eunuch responds to the gospel and is baptized and church tradition tells us that eventually he went and shared the gospel with uh, the queen of Ethiopia, Queen Candace. And because of that, she came to know the Lord and, sh- and shared the gospel with those in her kingdom. But he started asking questions, seeing where God was at work. And then God brought the fruit. Something you wouldn't expect in a desert place. Something you wouldn't expect in a barren place. And the reality is that God is at work in the lives of those around us. The question is, are we sensitive enough to see it? Are we sensitive enough to listen and observe where God has already been, where God is already at work? And I I think part of this is recognizing that we all have a role to play in sharing our faith. John 4, 35 to 38 says this, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Some plant, some water, some reap the harvest. In this passage, it's quite clear that Philip is reaping the harvest. 
But there's others who have planted, others who have watered the soil. And in our Christian culture, I think that we've been so accustomed to this idea of achieving results. You know, and what we want is we want to reap the harvest. We talk about people being saved. And we think the point of evangelism is when a person steps over the line and commits to Christ. But often in our culture that's post-Christian, often we'll do a lot more planting, a lot more watering than we do reaping. I mean, think about it. This person, this Ethiopian person, this Ethiopian eunuch, he already has the scripture. He already believes that the Bible is God's word. He's reading that Bible, and he's just come back from Jerusalem to worship. He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but he worships Israel's God, probably a Gentile, who's come to know the God of Israel. And so he has a lot of information. He has a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of framework there. But in our culture, you know, people we interact with, maybe they've never read the Bible. Maybe they don't know how they feel about the Bible. They don't know if they believe that the Bible really is God's word. So we have to start with planting, start with watering before we get to reaping. You know, maybe the first step is just giving somebody a Bible, allowing them to you know read that. Maybe the first step is just inviting someone to church, having them listen to a worship song, inviting them to some other event. Maybe the first step is just talking with them about some spiritual question. Uh, in your bulletin that you received today, at the end of the spiritual formation guide, uh, there's a question that says, live it out. And from now on, there'll be a question at the bottom that says, live it out. And the goal of that question is to provide a way for you to start a conversation with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And these questions are not questions like, do you know, you know, if you died today, would you go to heaven? These are questions that just kind of get the conversation going about spiritual things. And as you talk about those things, you can start to see where God is working. You know, and as you build a relationship with someone, you know, you see God's spirit in their life. And, you know, maybe it takes a long time and maybe they just come to you one day and they're like, well, I don't know, I'm getting old my, uh, I know there's a lot of diseases in my family. I wonder where you go when you die. I wonder what happens. You see, as we're obedient, God opens those doors and he opens those opportunities. We just need to be sensitive. We have to have our yes on the table. When those opportunities arise, we need to be ready to utilize and make the most of those opportunities. So when we obey God and we go where he tells us to go, we find that he's already been there. He's already been paving the way, whether we're going to be planting, watering, or reaping the harvest. The final thing that we see in this passage is that as believers sharing our faith, we need to simply offer people Jesus. That's the bottom line. It's simple, clear, and that's what Philip does. He says, he, he starts with this scripture, and from this scripture, he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now note what Philip doesn't do. He doesn't say, I have some instructions and some advice for you on how to raise your family. He doesn't say, I have some instructions for you how you can be financially successful. He doesn't say, I have some instructions and guidelines how you could become a better person. 
He simply preaches the reality of Jesus Christ. Michael Horton says this, The gospel is not good instructions, not a good idea, and not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's all every, all the church is about. It's about Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. That's our calling. Because in and of ourselves, we were lost and hopeless, headed for eternity, separated from God. But God sent His Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. And He died on the cross to take our place to take our punishment. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. And now the good news is preached that anyone who wants to, anyone who would believe in him could have eternal life. Live for him, with him forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what we need to be about. Our mission statement as a church is is to live and to tell the indescribable good, good news of what God has done, is doing, and will do. In Jesus Christ. Dr. Robert Weber was once traveling on a trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles. He was sitting on a plane and he was reading a Christian book. And uh, there was somebody from, uh, I think somewhere in Europe or Asia, sitting next to him and started a conversation. He asked Weber, so are you a religious person? And Weber's like, yeah, I'm a religious person. And the guy's like, yes, well, so am I. And so they started talking about religion and this individual's religious beliefs. And then kind of halfway through, Weber stopped him and he asked, so do you have like a one-sentence, one-liner that would kind of sum up what your religious faith is all about? He said, well, yeah, I do. He said, we're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution. So they talked about that for a while. And he thought that, Weber thought, well, there's some good parts of that. And Weber said, well, would you mind if I told you what I believe the essence of the Christian faith is? And the guy said, sure. And Weber responded this way. He said, we're all part of the problem. But there's only one man who's the solution. His name is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. To sum up everything we talk about, talked about today, I think we can sum it up in one phrase. Evangelism is about following the leading of God's Holy Spirit to offer Jesus in barren places. Evangelism is about following the leading of God's Holy Spirit to offer Jesus in barren places. Some of us here, maybe we've been following after God and we feel like we're in the place that God would have us be. But we feel like that's a desert. For some of us, maybe it's our workplace. And you know, maybe our boss is a jerk. Maybe the people who are around us uh, are uh, go- prone to gossip and slander. And every time we go there, we just feel like the life is being sucked out of us. But we know that's God, where God has us. Maybe for some of us, it's our marriage. And we feel like that relationship just is supposed to be life-giving, but somehow there's something broken in it. For some of us, it's our extended family. Maybe we're the only believers in our family. And each time we go to family functions, we feel like we're kind of under attack. Feel like there's no life. There's no purpose. Truth is, sometimes God calls us to barren places. 
And the truth is, sometimes if you're in a desert place, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Because just like Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick, he calls us to the darkness. He calls us to places that are barren so that the light of Christ might shine in those places. So if you're in a place where you feel like there's no life, where it's a desert, maybe that's exactly where God wants you to be. But here's the thing. We need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to be sensitive to His voice. Because if we're just in a desert for the desert sake, we're wasting our time. But if we're on mission, if we're sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit for those opportunities that He brings our way, where He's already working in people's life, that we need to be ready for those opportunities. We're all called to be witnesses of the good news. To be open and sensitive to where He would direct us. Not saying to go on the street corner, hold up a sign. But all of us have a part to play. Because God has distributed us in different spheres of life, different relationships, different workplaces, and He's given us different opportunities to share our faith with those around us. We need to just be open and be sensitive to those opportunities. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us while we were still sinners, while we were still uh, at enemies of you. We thank you for your love in doing that. We thank you that you allow us to be a part of your plan of sharing your love with the world. Lord, I pray that wherever you call us, even when you call us to lifeless, barren places, that we would be open to hearing your voice, that we would look for opportunities where you're already at work. And we'd be obedient to listen to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.